I know I'm not like this. I know you're not like this. None of us are like this. But there's somebody that we all know who's like this, a brother, a sister, a roommate, maybe even a parent. Um, For some people in this world, it's really hard to wake up in the morning, like really, really hard, struggle, bunny, hard. You know, you try to wake them up. You try to be gentle with them. Hey, time to wake up. You know, flip on the lights. Boom. The covers go back over their heads, like totally over their heads. And you know, you, you understand people sometimes need a minute. So you go about your business, but you know that, that there's stuff that needs to be done. So you come back, you know, you, you take the blanket off time to get up. Let's go. Like in the nice voice, boom, the hood goes over their head. Finally, you know, after you've like spritzed them a few times with a spray bottle, maybe poked them with a real long stick or something. They grumble and, and utter some things that you can't understand, which is good that you can't understand them because it's probably bad words anyway. And they finally get out. They got like the one eye crusted shut and like the, the foot that like won't quite get off the ground and they drag themselves to the shower. And it's only after a shower, a toothbrush, uh, some hair spritzing, six cups of coffee, a good breakfast and a brisk walk that finally around 10.30, 11.30 in the morning, they're finally reasonable people to be around because they just can't wake up. Sometimes that's our personality. Sometimes it's because we sleep so deeply or for so long that, 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 that we just can't snap out of it. And, and the process of getting things going again is incredibly, incredibly involved. I think about um, the Tin Man, the Tin Man in, in, in The Wizard of Oz, a person who had been in the same position for so long that he just kind of got stuck, didn't he? He got stuck and he couldn't move his joints and he couldn't even really move uh, his mouth that well to be communicated with people. And so it took a little bit, it took a process for him to get oiled up and to get those joints loosened up, and he had to start moving again. But once he was able to start moving again, once he was able to be fully awake and fully alive, then then a very beautiful thing happened and was able to happen with the journey that he had on his life. In Isaiah uh, chapter 50, we're, we're to a section where the prophet is imploring the people of God to wake up. He's saying, wake up. And for the last chapter, he's been telling them different ways. You got to wake up. You got to wake up. You got to wake up. And the people of Israel, they're, they're kind of like that person that's definitely not us, but that we all know who just has such a hard time waking up because for so long they have been in bondage that they just kind of lost hope. And it's hard for them to imagine again what it might look like to be alive. What it might look like to be again a people who can move and who can journey and who can dance and who can have hope and who can have joy and who can be happy. And today, as we look at uh, a text from Isaiah 52, we're going to talk a little bit about, okay, so what was God saying to the people as he made this final pitch to them that you've got to stop sleeping and you have to get prepared for the freedom, for the wokeness that's going to come next. At the same time, we do have to keep in our minds this notion, too, of what does it look like for us to be awake spiritually? And we can't always do this with with the Old Testament. We have to be careful, but we are still in a section and in a text as we work our way through the book of Isaiah this semester, where we're in a section where Jesus takes these words and uses them to talk about himself. And the people who lived with Jesus and the people who, who walked with Jesus, who came after them, after him, who, to write scripture, they used these texts to reference what Jesus would later come to do. 
If we are going to consider ourselves Christ's followers, if we're going to consider ourselves to, to have Jesus at the center of our lives, then it does beg the question for these people who were anticipating a certain kind of wokeness and, and, and for, for that to be fully uh, realized in the person of Jesus, for those who come after and who maybe have, have fallen asleep spiritually, who have lost some kind of hope, who have been, been despondent, what does it look like for us then to come and to wake up? Isaiah starts the chapter 52 by saying this, Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For there shall no more come into you the uncircumcised and the unclean. Shake yourself from the dust and arise. Be seated, O Jerusalem. Loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter Zion. And as Isaiah speaks to the people, he's very aware of one thing in particular, that their opportunity to worship God has been taken away from them because Jerusalem was where the temple was. Jerusalem was where the people came and they congregated for religious festivals. As Isaiah speaks, he is speaking at first specifically to, to, the, to the spiritual sleep that the people are in. And he's saying, wake up. And he understands that one of the things that makes sense to us when we get up and when we feel alive is, is that what do we do? We, we, we get dressed. And then there's something that happens to us when we get on like, like that new kind of outfit. Smells good. It's all clean, pressed. You just get that kind of swag face that you walk around with all day and a, a little bit of saunter. And you're like, yeah, man, these hips don't lie. I know that I got it going on. And, and so uh, here, here's Isaiah. And he's saying, look, Jerusalem, put on your, 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 your beautiful garments. Put on your special stuff. Give, give, give the cologne a little, a little spritz. Take a little bit of extra time, that, that second glance in the mirror, just to make sure everything is on point because it's time for you to have your confidence restored in the worship of your Lord. There have been all these other people in there and they've been disrespecting you. They have taken over your space, but it is time for you to reclaim it. And not only that, it's been so long. It's been so long since you've got to use your space. It's been so long since you've got to do what you were called to do, which is to be the worshiping people of God, that there's an understanding here that, you know, you might not know what to do yet. Might have been a while since, since, since you've been dancing around. And so you got to kick that dust off. You got to kick the dust off. Feeling just a little bit dusty. It's time to get clean. And it's time to get dressed. It is time to take those things that have restricted you specifically the, the bonds around your neck because you have been the servants of other people. It's time to, to loose those things. And once again, you will be able to breathe in the spirit of the Lord. You have been captive, but part of your waking up now is to understand that you have been freed. That's very optimistic. And sometimes optimism in the face of despair, is difficult to accept. And so what God does, what the prophet does, is empathize with the people and in their situation. For thus says the Lord in verse 3, you were sold for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money. For thus says the Lord God, my people went down at first into Egypt to sojourn there, and the Assyrian oppressed them for nothing. Now therefore, what have I here, declares the Lord, seeing that my people are taken away for nothing, their rulers wail, declares the Lord, and continually all the day my name is despised. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, in that day, 
They shall know that it is I who speak. Here I am. There's some beautiful double imagery there. We see imagery of of people going down to Egypt and of people being persecuted. We see this imagery of people um, who are complaining against God. We see people who are, who are despising the name of God. And I think that was probably happening both internally with the people at that time because they just got so fed up. Though, you know, where's our God? What are we going to do? Is this God even real? But then also externally, because what we know uh, about kind of the, the state of the world at that point in time is that the power of your God was oftentimes uh, directly correlated or directly interpreted by the power of the gods that your rulers worshipped. And so if, if the Israelites are here and they're being torn asunder and they're in captivity and people have power over them, then there are other countries that are looking at them and saying that, that no, your God is weak. No, your God is, is, is worthless. Your God is not powerful. Your God is not alive. And God kind of understands that. But what does God say there in verse six? He says that eventually what is going to happen is that my people will indeed know my name. And in that day, they will know that it is I who speak. Here I am. And this is not the actual uh, uh, here I am language that we see in the Exodus, right? Where, where Moses asks God, like, who am I? And God says, I am who I am. This is actually a different Hebrew word. But what do we see in the Exodus when the people were down in Egypt? That they knew that God was there. That they knew that God was there. And that the real God conquered the myth of the old gods that God's name was made known and that God was shown to be present in the midst of the struggling and the striving of his people. And so God ties this struggle that they're in now. He ties it back to a struggle that they were in before saying, I was faithful to you before and I will be faithful to you again. And I understand things are bad now. I understand people are despising me and that right now my stock is really low, but there will come a time where my stock will never be higher because I will be shown to be the one true God. And then Isaiah starts to paint a picture of the deliverance that is about to come to the people. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up your voice together. They sing for joy for eye to eye. They see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing you waste places of Jerusalem for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. I love the power that music has there as Isaiah talks about what is going to happen. There is something that, that, that makes you feel uh, almost uh, um, uh, impervious to anything else when you have a good theme song. You know what I'm saying? My daddy went to a, a football game yesterday. He went to um, watch my, my cousin play in a college football game yesterday. And the thing that he sent me was actually nothing about the football game. The text that he sent me was nothing about the football game. It was, the text that he sent me was uh, the, the band from before the football game, that the college band that was playing outside of the stadium, they were playing, they were playing a song that I really enjoy and a song that my kids really enjoy. And my dad taped it and he sent it to me and it was like, you know what? Everybody looks like they're just having a good time. 
because they have found a song to sing and, and they're singing it and they can't help but dance and they can't help but have pride in this thing that they have come to celebrate. There is anticipation there. There's goodness there. There's excitement there. Just the fact that the people have come together and they've congregated to this place where they've been before, but they took a break and now that they're coming back and they're coming to, to celebrate something. That's the picture here. That God is painting for the people. He says, yes, you are going to come back to Jerusalem. You are going to come back to the site of the temple. And all of the things that you've been yearning for, all of the things that you've been praying for, all of the things that you've been crying out for, those are things that are going to be realized. You have gone through a period of time where you've been asking for those things and you have been wondering, where is my God? And I am going to show up in a good way. And the good news that I'm going to bring you, it is a good news. Uh, it is a word of peace. It is safe space to live. And when you're, where your heart has been sorrowful, like, yes, I am going to bring you happiness. And not only am I going to bring your salvation, but I'm going to make it visible for all of the people to see. And so not only will you be vindicated in the eyes of the world around you, but me, I, my name as your God will be vindicated. And this crazy thing is going to happen where, where there were waste places of Jerusalem. It's going to essentially like what I imagine this as is, is going to turn into high school musical. Everybody's just going to be so happy that all they will be able to do is sing. And all these people who weren't getting along and who didn't know each other, they're going to come into the cafeteria and sing together and uphold each other and affirm each other and affirm their God. And, and it's just going to be this joyous, wonderful, happy time where everybody shall see the salvation of their God. Now, when you get news like that, when you get an exhortion like that, that's not just something that you sit on. And so God tells the people, now there's something that you are going to have to do. Now that I got your attention, now that I got you awake, you're not just supposed to sit in your bed and be happy. You're not just supposed to sit in your bed and think, wow, I'm really full of energy. I'm only going to go back to sleep. You're not just supposed to, 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 to sit in your room, bright-eyed and, and, and bushy-tailed, and just like Netflix and zombie or whatever. No, there's something that, that they have to do here. There is a call here. And God tells them what that call is. It's to go forth. Verse 11, depart, depart, go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her. Purify yourselves, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. For you shall not go out in haste, and you shall not go out in flight. For the Lord will go before you. And the God of Israel will be your rear guard. And God is telling them, now that you've heard this good thing, it's time for you to go home. You've got to get the heck on up out of here. And you are not going to do it by the cover of night. And you are not going to do it by darkness. But, but, but you are going to turn to your God. And part of the worship, part of the turning to your God is this reconsecration of your purpose a re-realization of who you are and what God has created you to do. And when he says to them, when he says to them things like, um, touch no unclean thing and purify yourselves, you who are vessels of the Lord, he's saying, yes, people, my children, you have a purpose and your purpose, your purpose is to be utilized in the worship of my name. 
Because when the temple existed, there were all of these utensils that were in the temple. And there were all of these beautiful things that were in the temple. And there were all of these um, uh, 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 symbols that were in the temple. And all of those things had been created to the exact specifications that, that God had put forth because they were supposed to be perfect. They were supposed to be utilized for a very specific purpose. That when people came in, they were supposed to be overtaken by the glory of the place, not just so that they could be really awesome tourists, but so that I could point them to the overwhelming glory of their God. And so God says, just as I, I had these vessels in the temple that were supposed to point people, that were supposed to be conduits so that they could worship me, so now that is what you are supposed to be. So be cleansed and be clean and be set apart for a purpose and go out from here and realize your purpose. And you can do this not just because you're awesome, but because God will surround you. And so you don't have to, to freak out about it. You don't have to go out in a panic. You don't have to be rushed because God is going to pave the way before you. And God is going to protect you when you feel most vulnerable. This really fascinating prophecy then comes up to end the chapter. A prophecy that, that points us to Jesus. It says, behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up. And be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him, for that which has not been told, them they see, and that which they have not heard, they shall understand. This raises some interesting questions for us. That being, what will we do when God calls us to wake up and to be used as vessels for his glory and for his worship? You know, I'm not sure that the people really understood what Isaiah was talking about when he spoke these words. Because the, the metaphorical language there speaks to a broadening definition of what the kingdom of God looks like. When he talks about, um, you know, so shall he sprinkle many nations and kings shall shut their mouths of him uh, because of him for that which they have not been told them. They see that which they have not heard. They understand like there's this idea there that, that the blood of, of Jesus Christ is going to come. It's going to cover us all. It's going to cleanse us all. And this notion that Isaiah has just talked about in terms of a cleansing, in terms of a, of a being set aside, in a terms of, of realizing purpose for the worship of God, that is something that was going to happen for the people of Jerusalem in that time. But that was then something that was going to be unveiled worldwide later. And yeah, you know what? There were kings in Jesus' time who were threatened by him. And who tried to have him have him killed and 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 and, and their point of view, like, like like their plans were thwarted. And even the death of Jesus was not something that could be contained. And by the resurrection of Jesus, it provided this meaningfulness, this meaningfulness to his death, a redemption to, to, to what people had plotted for evil, was then shown to be good, and that it brought all of us 
into the family of God and gave all of us an opportunity to be set aside just as the, 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 the Israelites had been set aside before. And that's an amazing thing. And so when we consider in this day that God has been with people who were hurting, that God has been with people who felt broken and disenfranchised, been with people who felt lost in their situation and in their sin and maybe didn't even know what their identity was, but he still called them out to wake up and to put on their garments and, and, to, and to represent him, then what is it? How is it that God is asking us to live out that call today. You know, I think there are a lot of us who are are wrestling with the brokenness of a world, with the brokenness of of what's going on inside ourselves. There are some of us who are really wrestling, feeling like we are are trapped in cycles of, of either like the broader definition of a sinful environment or a sinful world. And specifically, some of us feel like we are trapped in cycles of sin or sinning in our lives. But there is good news here. There is good news in that God did indeed send his servant. And that servant has been high and lifted up. And that servant has been exalted. And you know what? It wasn't always easy for that servant. And in fact, he went through all of these things that were were talked about here in, in verse 14 that were really, really horrible. But now we have an opportunity to be told about that which we did not see and to hear things that we maybe didn't understand, but the Spirit of God can make alive in us today. And so my encouragement for us today may be that even in the midst of darkness, maybe even in the midst of, of whatever bondage that we are experiencing, to hear the call of God for us to wake up to the realities of what God has done for his people in the past and what God wants to do for us with Jesus in our lives and in our hearts today. God, we do thank you for this day. And we thank you, God, that the story that you are weaving and telling is so long. And sometimes long stories are hard because we can uh, get lost in in some of the, the, the details along the way. But we thank you, God, for the scope that we have at this point in history to see the narrative. And we know that you never stop redeeming and you never stop pursuing. And we know, God, today that even as um, some of us sleep, that you do call us to wake up, God. And you continue to call us to wake up. Fill our lives with your spirit so that we can live lives that are full of vigor as we realize the purposes that you have for us. In Jesus' name.